0: This is the Power to a Podcast, Show 82, Summer PD Series number nine.
1: You have to make a contact with those kids that might not be as bold to contact you. And you have to be very conscious of those kids because those little moments mean just as much to them on the inside, they just might not be as bold on the outside. Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you.
0: What's going on, everyone? This is Kennerman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I am here with my two co-hosts, Mister Matt, gearing up Rogers, and Mister Christopher, the Park Ranger Albrecht. Guys, how are we doing tonight? Doing fantastic. Doing wonderful. Awesome. So, for those of you that have possibly never listened to our podcast before, uh, we are employing a little bit of a different tactic for our summer series, and this is actually the final one. For that series, where we dive into a specific topic uh, with a, a guest that we have had on our show before, as opposed to our typical format where we are getting to know a guest like we did with Christopher on show 33, and we learn about their passions and their stories and what makes their classroom a special place and their interactions with students so special. So, if you have not before, I would highly, highly recommend listening to Christopher on show 33. Matt said just before we recorded that it is. His favorite episode by far, and it is absolutely one of my my top five as well. So for context of our conversation tonight, just real quick, I am a former fifth grade teacher. I then transitioned into teaching elementary STEM. And I now serve as a secondary instructional coach. So Matt, why don't you quickly introduce yourself and then you can throw it to Christopher to do the same. All
2: right. Hey, everyone. It's Matt Rogers here. I am a fourth grade teacher before that. Um, so I've been fourth grade teacher eight years and uh, did five years as a fourth and fifth grade learning support teacher before that. Now off to Christopher.
1: Uh, just like Matt, i a fourth grade teacher in Brockport, New York um i uh, also serve as a united states park ranger in the summertime i've been teaching for 27 years i started my career in west virginia uh back in the time period when the internet was starting up uh, i was hired as a half-time technology teacher half-time kindergarten teacher so i learned the ropes of survival in that, those first couple years trying to network something i had no idea what i was putting together and uh the the beauty of that time period um i would be the teacher that learned to observe his students very early on and listen to his students and co-teach with them so uh that's kind of been the, the i guess the theme if we could talk about a theme tonight maybe um it's almost like co-teaching with your students and what it's like to uh, learn from each other and share a learning environment
0: this podcast is a proud member of the teach better podcast network better today better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there you can find out more at teachbetter.com slash now let's get back to the episode that's awesome. I uh, I recently listened to our show with you and your stories of building the internet with middle schoolers and then running across campus to to teach kindergarten with five year olds was uh was was pretty crazy. But it was very evident how it's it's had such a big impact on your career. So as we wrap up the summer series, we just want to talk about what is everything that teachers need to think about as they wind down their last couple days of summer and they prepare for the you know the the annual nerves of the students walking through their doors for the first time. So so Christopher, I want to start with you because you have uh, such a, a great experience. What do you think is you know big topics or something really specific that is at the top of the list of importance for you every year as you get to this moment of summer ending and students about to walk through your door?
1: Well, I, I look forward to it. Um, some people get nervous by it. It's actually something I enjoy very much. The start of the school year is one of those time periods that's just, you know, it's almost like Christmas to me, you know, you know don't know what you're gonna be unwrapping that year. And the beauty of it, um, the way I approach that school year is just by observing my students. Um, I'm always curious where the school year is gonna take us. I know that, you know, that we have curriculum, we're a very curriculum driven world right now, extremely curriculum driven. Our school district just spent a lot of time this year piloting new language art series is and all those things. So we're constantly thinking about curriculum, but I would encourage people to at least take this approach. And this is the approach that's made me happy. It's brought a lot of joy to my career um, over time, is uh, is really those first crucial days is listening and observing your students as much as possible and getting that foundation of a routine in. And you know that I know we we're very concerned about making sure that our students are have caught up. Obviously, we've we've had a couple years where we've been concerned about academic levels. Um, you know, Matt, you talked about teaching at a fourth grade level. I just, I'm working on my Fontes and Pinnell levels right now and going through and doing all that testing. And um, and the testing's coming out just fine. But I, I would encourage people, how well are you getting to know your kids? Um, spent a lot of time this year in community circles, getting to know the kids and uh, to understand them and listen to them. And have them listen to each other and build that classroom culture. So, you know, as we're talking about a lot of the different things, I know one of the things my wife and I did two years ago, we, we canceled cable television, got rid of it. Don't I don't have cable, so sometimes I don't even know that I, I don't walk into school and not know the news of the day because I just don't know about it. Um, and I think what, what I'd like to do is focus more in my life, and especially this juncture in my career. On the kids, and you know what their interests are, and trying to make sure that those are validated and talked about. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, yeah, at this year uh, we had one girl that she was out with COVID, and um, I was tutoring her on on the computer, and uh, she was fine; she wasn't feeling sick at all. But she had to do her mandatory time, and um, she all of a sudden wanted to show me this uh, crocheted thing that she did. It was like a scarf; it looked like a giant fish. Now I know the I, I have no idea how to crochet. Um, I really have no interest in crocheting, but the the neatest part was Slow Girls name's Alana. And um, I, she was so excited about it and I said, well, why, why don't you bring that to school? You know, bring it to school, show the kids this you know neat, unique talent that you have. And before you know it, there's eight other kids that are interested in crochet. And before you know it, at, at recess time, because, you know, I'm in Rochester, New York, you guys aren't too far away down in Pennsylvania, uh, there's there's snowstorms sometimes where recess is indoors and you could be inside for a long time period in the winter. So she shows this crochet stuff. So I I immediately went out and brought some cheap crochet needles. And before we know it, we've got somebody donating yarn and they've, they've got crochet. And then what, what really stuck with me was They weren't getting enough time to do it. You know, recess is 20, 25 minutes. And um, they started asking, you know, could we come in before school? So an hour and a half before school on Thursdays, here we've got Alana and her group of seven other girls. I I don't teach anything. I just sit there with them and more manage the conversation while I get a little bit of work done, but they all sit on the carpet right behind me. That's kind of why I brought you up to my classroom today is just to see this place because they sit there and what's amazing about it, it's not just girls. There's boys that were, are involved in it. And, you know, whether it's the cross-gender conversations that, that go on or um, just those that social interaction that's so needed for kids right now because we're so driven to, you know, get a lot of things done in school. School's a very busy place. This gives them a little slowdown time. The challenge is, it's you know, it's, you can't expect it of a teacher. They're, this is outside of my contract time public school teachers so we can't expect that but what it's done is it's built a classroom culture around empowering kids to teach one another so i think one of the things that i look at as we enter enter the fall especially at the elementary level kids love helping other kids kids love it and um i would say the first thing i'm looking for is looking for the talent in each one of my students and how that talent can be used with other students so Let's say I've got morning workout. I've got morning workout already on these tables. Tomorrow morning, two kids have their hands raised. I'm, I'm working with one, or maybe I'm not working with either one of them. If I see another kid in the class that understands how to answer that question, I would rather them answer the question than me answer the question. Because I think what that does, it puts them in a very validating role. It validates their talent right there and gives them a chance to teach. And through teaching, it solidifies the learning and gives them more confidence. So uh, and communication between other students. So as I start out the year, that's what I'm looking for. I'm observing my students, trying to find their talents, their interests, and then how we can use those to co-teach together throughout the whole year. That's where my mindset is.
2: I love, you know, that idea of, you know, trying to step as far back as possible because as a new teacher, I feel like you, you have this expectation of managing it all. And showing yourself as the authority figure, the, the the person that needs respect. And, you know, this episode, I would say, I hope, is one of the most, you know, poignant and helpful of the summer series because, Ken, right about now, when when we're, you know, recording this and listening to this, we're all thinking about what we want our role to be, what our kids' role should be. Hopefully, you know, we're we're thinking about a before you know you're required to be in the classroom but the hardest thing and I would love to hear maybe even your progression both Chris and Ken is trying to figure figure out and pick what are those um, attributes that are you know Mr. Rogers classroom what is Mr. Erman's classroom look like from your perspective because I remember going into the first day of school. I was I was lucky when I first started. I started in December. So I just kind of mimicked the teacher that was in the room before me. their you know tendencies, they had already set up a classroom procedure. So I had a half year to kind of see what I liked and what I didn't like. But it is very fearful to leave a classroom that's heavy, like the collegiate area of theory of kids and say, this is how I want my classroom. And not that you're tied to it for 180 days, but setting a tone and a first impression is important. And boy, oh boy, have we heard, you know, the no smile till Thanksgiving or October, you know, is just the biggest absolute waste of an opportunity with kids. So I guess mindset wise, what are you guys thinking of? What have you tried? What have you found successful that you're saying? You know, I'm going to dedicate my first three weeks, two, and either positives and negatives that you've seen in that, that you, you know, in that pendulum swing, hey, I went too far here. The next year I tried a little too soft and then I finally found a balance.
1: Well, Ken, do you want to start with it or do you want me to go? You can go ahead. Okay. Um, So, I, you know, looking, I think at the beginning of the year, we try to do a little bit of a song and dance and make it too appealing to kids when it can be, simplified quite a great deal with just talking to talking to the kids or adolescents you're working with Um, there doesn't need to be extreme creativity what there needs to be is you mentioned the word respect Uh, respect can be gained in so many different ways Um, but there needs to be that the, the core values of what each teacher wants their classroom to have now our school you know, I, I think a lot of us are going through, we have PBIS at our school, we talk a lot about the PBIS words and those values that come with those words. But I think each teacher, this is one of the beauties of, there's a science of teaching, and then there's an art of teaching. The science of teaching is collecting data on your students, understanding, scoring them, seeing what level there is. But there's an art. That's This is why teaching is so unique. There's an art to teaching. And your values in your classroom, what those might look like and the values in my classroom and what those might look like are so different at times in what we kind of see as our culture. And so I think being very, very uh, conscious of what you value going into those first couple days. I, I, I'm a very big believer in a, all for one and one for all. Uh, you know, I've got these tables here, and that I'm, sit, I'm sitting at one of them right now, and we do a lot of think, pair, share. And if I have a table of three right now, so I have a, if I'm the person sitting right here in the middle, and we have a kiddo over here on the left and a kiddo over here on the right, there's always this fear, even at college level, even at high school, elementary level, you name it. If I say, okay, I want you to think of what you're going to say, okay, now turn to your neighbor and say something. The person in the middle has got the challenge of who do I turn to? And the two people on the end are wondering what happens if she turns to the opposite person. So one of the big cultural things for me on those first couple of days are to talk about what does all for one and one for all mean? We learn it in Latin first, and then, and then we bring it over to all for one and one for all. And this is just... You know my model for my own classroom here and what we talk about is okay so when you turn to somebody after you turn to somebody now observe the room and if anybody's left out say to them hey would you like to join us so a group of three is okay and those kind of things those core values i instill from the get-go right there so a very big thing for me would be communicating between others student to student. And also recognizing in the classroom, if there's a student that needs help and you've already done your job and you've taken care of yourself, don't be afraid to just step in and go for it, take the risk. I want kids to take risks. Um, and especially right now, where the time period we're living in, education is a fluid, uh, fluid profession that's changing all the time. The time period we're living in calls for people to be advocates, to help other people, to be um, empowered to help other people. And um, so those are the things that I'm, you know, I'm very conscious about heading into the school year and and thinking about, am I thinking about curriculum? Yeah, a little bit, but you know, I've already got that. That's the science right there. And that's the data that I pretty much have from third grade, you're gonna see some regression over summer, I'm sure with some kids and some acceleration from other kids, but we're in the ballpark on where we're at academically. The more important thing is to build that culture because that culture is gonna set you up for an entire school year of the way things feel and it's very proactive um what it does it's going slower at the beginning you have to be willing to slow down at the beginning where a lot of people want to dive in but what ends up happening is you see like october november this you know jet engine taken off and uh, academically once that the culture is established i i personally see it it always seems to happen about the second to third week in October. It takes just about that long. We start the first week in September, so that's probably about seven weeks. It takes about seven weeks for that culture to be fully established. So you have to have that patience right there, and uh, you know, within a week, depending on the year. And um, once that's established, the academics just take take off because the the routines are down, the uh, and those routines being how the kids interact with each other and how they interact with me. So I think another part of it that's very important, and it, this year especially, we weren't allowed to have a lot of adults in our school from the community. So parents were you know, finding out about school for, through their own kids. This year was the first year, of my whole career, I sent a nightly email home to the parents just with talking points to help them talk to their kids about school. Uh, the one thing we can't lose right now is our parents. We've been relying on our parents heavily and um, they uh, they're looking now as they're starting to look back into school and starting to see in school, they're going to want to know what's going on. So I think a heavy communication piece right now is an extremely important part of education. Uh, it's always been there, but right now more than ever. Yeah. Ken, how do you see it?
0: Yeah, I, I just want to reiterate a couple things you said and then kind of dive deeper on them, too. You know, um, you know, Matt, like you said, that that respect piece and one of you know, my first couple of years, I know that a large focus of what my message was on that first day, those first couple of days, even leading into before the students were there is I wanted them to know that I cared. I wanted them to know that it was going to be a space where they felt safe. But I felt like a lot of it um, focused on me and less on the students. And one of my epiphany moments was every year as a fifth grade teacher, my kids were transitioning into middle school that to start sixth grade and we would always go up to the middle school for orientation. We would go another time to see like the band and the orchestra so they could see what they get involved in. And I would always say to my students, you know, you are going to your new school. You have you are setting your first impression now. Not next year, not in September. That first impression is going to start now when you meet the principal, when you meet the assistant principal, you potentially interact with some teachers. And I I had, you know, kind of this epiphany moment of well, in September, you know, I'm going to, you know, we teach as teachers, we always think, all right, the students have to set a, a good first impression with us. I think it's more important that we set a good first impression with our students. And so it really had me reflect on what am I trying to accomplish in those first few days? And even looking at things like setting up all the agendas, setting up all the math notebooks on their desk for when they walk in so they can write their name on it. You know, I stopped doing that because I felt like that set the impression of, okay, our curriculum is super important. We need to organize our books. I We can do that on day two and it's going to be okay. I want to, like you said, Christopher, I want to talk to the kids. I want to get to know them. I want to create opportunities where I can observe and learn how they interact with each other. Um, and, you know, from a secondary perspective, thinking about that first day, you know, what is the traditional thing that teachers do, and I'm not saying all secondary teachers do this, but they hand out a syllabus or they hand out, you know, those important materials that are going to set them up for success. Well, just take the perspective of a student. They're doing that seven times their first day. You know, how is that how is that exciting at all? What is the point of showing up for the first day of school when you're just getting a piece of paper that you just could have had emailed to you? You know, what are you doing to um, have those conversations with students where you're showing something a little bit different, and you're observing, and you're learning from those students, and you know I just think that's that's so important to do. And and I would say my progression, Matt, which was a which you asked us, every year it became more about what can I learn about my students, what can they learn about each other, what can they learn about me, and how can I make our first day, our first few days, as interactive as possible. Um, and Christopher, I 100% agree with you that mid-October time range, the curriculum just launched into a whole nother level. And I always found myself behind pacing at the end of the first marking period, which is typically around the beginning of November. But by that second marking period maybe even just a little bit into it, I was right on pace because the momentum building is, is just a steamroll because the kids and myself were all grooving together. And so I just I just found that to be so important. So I wanted to, you, you mentioned parent communication. So um, either of you jump in on this. What are you doing to establish parent communication before the first day of school or in those first couple of days of school? You know, how, is, how are you valuing that and what are specific things that you're doing to open up those channels of communication with parents?
1: Well, uh, one of the things that I, I, it's a melee in fourth grade, if you have the kids on the first day of school, bring in these backpacks full, <laughs> full of all the supplies and tissues and Ziploc bags and, and, you know, folders and all that. So one of the things I do is um, I have a meet and greet uh, prior to the school year starting. Uh, I I have a window where I'll have about five kids for an hour, then another five, then another five, and then another five. So I can bring them into the classroom. Everything's labeled. They find out where their cubby is, their locker out in the hall. So just to get them oriented to that classroom, uh, get a friendly uh, face with the parents. Uh, kids are kids funny because when kids are around their parents in that first meet, it it's sometimes their personalities come out a little bit, but not, you know, other times they're kind of not so the same as they are when they're away from their parents. So you really can't judge a kid by that moment right there, but at least it gets them familiar with the room and there's that comfort level. You start seeing names of other kids in the classroom and you get that first interaction with the parents. Two weeks prior to that though i call every house um i've been doing that for i think since the beginning of my career call every parent um introduce myself uh, ask if this helps also to make sure they're on track with getting things ready you know getting all the supplies and all that stuff um the uh but it also opens up any questions they might have and parents will play their cards at that point and you know if there's any tension prior to the school year they'll play those cards in that phone call pretty quick. And what it allows you to do is know, okay, this person's flying a little bit more anxious going into this school year. They might require a little more communication at the beginning, or we might set up a parent-teacher conference before I ever even meet their kid, just saying, you know, if you have these concerns, let's set up a conference right now for three weeks in to make sure that things are going correctly. Or if they're not, we'll have a plan in place to get this on the right track, because I don't want to wait till our parent conferences in November. And it's just so far out to wait. So I think opening it up, if they, if there's any, there's always two or three parents that have kind of an agenda on their mind, they're nervous about something that, that it just allows that to not be a factor in the school year. So I think parents project a lot of the anticipation of the school year on their kids. Um, I think, you know, I, having children of my own, I, my children are clones of my wife and I, in terms of the way they think and do things. You know eagles make eagles, ostriches make ostriches, and that that's just kind of the way it is. And um, the uh, so the parents uh, having them play early, they they will project a lot of that positive attitude onto their kids if they if they uh, get hooked into your classroom. Um, but just uh, in terms of communication, um, those first couple weeks, I do do a nightly email, um, not uh, any specific thing So like if something goes Incorrectly in the classroom or correctly, um, if I'm going to validate or in, you know invalidate, I guess invalidate. I don't know if that's the correct word for it, but if there's anything that I need to communicate to parents, that's a phone call or a visit to their house immediately. Uh, avoid email should be more like agenda-based stuff. Like, hey, remember we've got library tomorrow. Bring in your library books. You know, remember we have library every Monday just to get them into that routine as well. Um, but that's that's kind of communication at the beginning of the year. Parents love it. They love a lot of communication. They're curious about what's going on at school. You know, parents, when when I grew up in the 1970s, most uh, most parents, there was one parent at home and they volunteered at school. So there was a lot more awareness of what was going on in our schools out in the community. Now we've got most parents, they're, both parents are working right now and there's not as much awareness of what's going on in school. So we really have to change that approach to let parents have that sneak peek into what's going on at school so they feel invested as well, because that will ultimately be part of their conversations with their kids at home and the way they look at school. And you know, if they look at school favorably, it's going to project onto their kids too.
2: I will echo that. And Ken and I have talked about um, the, the main thing that if you did not hear that, the idea of calling every kid before the school year starts is probably the most beneficial thing that you can possibly do as a, you know, the start of a school year, because, you know, it doesn't even matter what you learn, as Christopher kind of acknowledged, you learn a lot. And sometimes it's unhinged, you know, the parents are ready for the summer to finish, they are ready to send some of their kids back to school, you know, um, but you get honest feedback. And, I've done it for the last few years and then I usually follow it up about a um, week or so pro- within two weeks of the school year starting, I do another phone call, which is usually, you know, two minutes or less, just double checking. Hey, I'm here. Just want to make sure everything's going on. Everything you'll need is going to be an email form, but just know that it doesn't matter what way I'm available to you at any time. And, um, that, that phone call at the beginning, I work with amazing educators, but I've had some parents say that I've never had a parent or a teacher call before the school year. And, you know, they're sitting on the beach or, you know, they might be at work, but the acknowledgement that you already care about their kid before you have to sets a tone so substantial to getting parents on your side and if you have parents on your side, they're going to defend you and they're going to make a teammate out of you for that entire school year, which is the tone that we all want to send. We we see it all the time, like, oh, in the, you know, 1980s or 60s, whatever the case may be, a teacher calls home and the parents yelling at the kid. And the, you know, the today where, you know, the parents yelling at the teacher, how there's no way my son could have. If you can switch that before you even meet, you know, you'll find yourself having very short, focused conversations that save you time, just like all of these beginning of the year habits you set up allow you to speed up through the process. Because, I mean, Ken, you mentioned it, Chris, you mentioned it, you you get on this, you know, jet stream because your classroom doesn't suffer from as many interruptions. Behaviorally, behaviorally, academically, you know, socially, because you've created a situation that, you know, there is an expectation and simply we can say, hey, does that fall in line to the agreement and how we have modeled all year long? So both of those things I would highly, highly suggest. Before turning it over, Ken, that communication side, I also want to say that, you know, this is a great time behavior wise, those first few weeks, Chris, you mentioned that you're hearing a lot and you're, you know, seeing the best version of parents and kids as they're all excited for the school year. I just want to highlight you're seeing the best version of kids. You know, after this allure, we go through this grace period, even with the most challenging classes, that they are giving their best version of themselves, that if you use that opportunity to set your expectations, you know. Where they would, you know, push the boundary is so much less if you are firm and rigid about that consistency of what you've done throughout the beginning of the school year. Um, and a lot of times that's, again, that teamwork. I think that would that's what I would emphasize. If you make them know that they're part of your team, if you know make the parent feel like they're part of the team, then those expectations will lead to many less interruptions, very brief adjustments of behavior compared to if you let it go and you're reactive in both of those, you're just going to have many later nights and potentially grayer hairs, you know, putting in in some uncomfortable positions.
1: Yeah. I call it the snooze bar, uh, the snooze bar effect. You have five seconds when that alarm clock goes off, to not hit the snooze bar. You got to get yourself up and out of bed. Well, it's the same thing with parents. You have that kind of moment right there. Oh man, it's the end of the day. It'd be so much easier just to blow this off till tomorrow. And you can't do it. You can't allow yourself to even do it once because once you go down that path, it's, it just becomes habit. But once you go down the path of being a constant communicator, you just, it, you stick to it. So it's really patterning yourself. And there is some self-discipline to it as a teacher. Does it take extra time? Yes, but I think you're exactly right, Matt. What ha- what you front load at the beginning of the year pays dividends, you know, a couple of months into the school year. And I really think, you know, kids are putting on their best side at the beginning of the school year. But if you do it right, really, that best side should continue to grow. You know, you should see that maturity and growth and that community build. That fa- I call it more of a family classroom family instead of a classroom community because um, a family really has different, you know, different elements to it, a community. I don't know. Family just seems tighter to me, and I feel that's. I, I feel like that's what we build here at our school in, our, in this class. Maybe
2: I'll add. You know, vulnerability uh, is high at the beginning of the yeah. year. You know, there's some guarded, but you can choose to reduce that wall for a lot of kids and see that this is a place of safety and care and love and support and growth. That's what we're wanting for all kids. That you can catch yourself ahead of the curve and really you know like you said turn it into an experience that oh that kid gave me so much trouble last year well you know we we Mm -hmm. got it ahead of time yeah like they grew up and and, um, I'm sure you could kind of talk about as well both of you the the idea of like you know not reading into what the kid was last year or what that family is I will say the the greatest gift is being in a district long enough that you know the siblings and the families. That communication is very quick if you have established it from years prior. Oh, we know the deal. You don't have to go through it. We trust you. We care about you. You know, we're we're glad we're in your hands again. Uh, it's yeah, a really I just want
0: to uh, reiterate a couple of things with the parent communication. Uh, Christopher, it makes me proud to hear that you call everybody. It doesn't surprise me at all. It's something that I've done from year one And it's the best thing that I've ever done. And this, you know, it's sounds kind of surprising since I record a podcast every week, but I despise talking on the phone and I despise making small talk with strangers. Those two things make me incredibly uncomfortable as an introvert. But, you know, that that phone conversation is very short. A lot of times, a lot of them are voicemails because I'm calling parents, you know, potentially when they're at work or different times. But it's just a very simple message of introducing myself That I'm excited for the school year, and if they need anything, all they have to do is email me or call me, and I will, you know, I'll help them with whatever they need. And I can't wait to spend 180 days with their child. Such a simple message, and like you said, Matt, I had many parents same things say that I've never gotten a phone call like that. Um, You know, to put in some different perspectives, when I transitioned into teaching STEM, I was teaching uh, 15 classes, and so I. I came to the realization that it seemed unrealistic to call that many parents before the school year. Um, I will say that if I had been in that position longer, I think I would have figured out a way to do it. But I still sent a video to each class to send like I sent an email to each set of parents with a video specific for that class. So it was clearly something that I made for that set of parents. It was a very similar message across first grade, across second grade, but I at least said the teacher's name. And and I think that's part of that phone call is just the effort that you're making to form a line of communication with the parents that they appreciate, even if it's a very simple message. And so I was able to send that out before we had our meet and greet and before back to school night. So a lot of parents had said, oh, you know, thanks for the video it was really nice to to meet you through that, that format. Um, so even as like a secondary teacher, they teach a lot more kids. They have a lot more parents. I've had many say it's just not realistic to call all of them. I, I would tend to disagree at points, but you know maybe you do have a lot of kids. If you teach you know five or six different sections and you have 25 to 30 kids, that's a lot of people to call. But what can you do that is a personalization, like the video idea, what can you do to show that you are taking the time to recognize that you are teaching their child and you're going to have to be a teammate with this parent? What is something that you can do that is just a little bit different than other teachers do? To again show that effort, I th- I think that is the essence of what's important is that you are making an effort to establish positive communication, um, and and you talked to Christopher about you know those nightly emails. Again, some people might find that overwhelming, but I think what's really important about what you do is that it's consistent. That's what parents appreciate. You know, my this was the first year that my son was in school just a couple days a week for a couple hours, and. We love his school, but the communication was incredibly sporadic. And that felt it was very overwhelming for my wife and I because there were some days with two emails, there were some weeks with 10, there were some weeks with two. And that is a little bit overwhelming. Um, you know, for me, I had a Monday email and it was all business. Here's what we're doing in every subject. Here's important reminders. Here are things that you need, you need to support your child with this week. And sometimes that email was social studies nothing important. Science, nothing important. And it. they knew it didn't mean that we weren't going to learn anything. There was just nothing that the parents had to worry about. No test to prepare right. for. And yeah. so, and then I used, I leveraged Facebook. You can leverage newsletters, different things. And I told the parents, that's all fun. It's going to be pictures. It's going to be videos. It's going to show what we're doing. And so the parents knew business and email, fun in Facebook. And so again, it was consistency. Um, and I think that's what I think that's what they really value. So um, kind of transitioning off of that, what do you think are things that teachers don't think about in the beginning of the year that over the years you've realized are things that we don't want to overlook as we prepare for the students to come in?
1: Oh, well, you know, the beginning of the school year, um, things that we don't want to over look at the beginning of the school year well you know i i don't i don't do a lot of judging and looking around at other teachers so i'm going to look only at myself on this one i think and um and think back to over my career and things that i probably could have done a little differently um you are correct consistency is a is a huge deal um whether it's you know a monday email or a call but you know things that that need that need not be overlooked I think that the the idea of when you make that first initial contact, and I would argue that actually at the secondary level, if you have 180 school days and you have 150 kids and you made one call a day, you, you'd be you'd be there, and you can probably triage where you need to call first. So uh, I think within a couple of days, you know those kids well enough to know this is the house that I probably want to make the rapport with first, and then you know work from there. Um, or even before the school year, you might know that uh, the things that that I uh, that might get overlooked at the beginning of the school year. Well, I think uh, going too fast uh, and uh, also keep making things almost too uh, too entertaining at the beginning of the school year. You know, there's there's a lot of emotion when you when you make things entertaining. There's this heightened you know excitement, but from excitement, if it gets too high you can have a dive down and go too low. So I think one of the things that, that I've learned over the years is to keep a pace that makes sense for the kids that are around me. And that's a game time call. You have to look at the kids. <clears throat> Some years I've had a class come in, every kid looks like they're you know right from the get go and they can, they're ready to go, they're, they're moving quick. And okay, so then I have to move my game up compared to them. But as long as there's effort in the classroom, I have to move at the pace of the kids because if they're putting forth their best effort, if they're putting forth what, what I would deem is, you know, looks like they're, they're trying really hard then for me to expect, okay, now tomorrow we have to be to this point. Well, maybe not, or maybe we need to be further because if you go too fast or too slow, what it does, it brings out those heavy emotions. And I think there's, you, I want to use, I think Matt, you said the word vulnerability at the beginning of the year there is vulnerability at the beginning of the year and there's nervousness and you know, there's, there's question marks in every kid's head. We want to make sure that they don't necessarily um, it's not so easy that they're going, they're saying, boy, this is, this is a cakewalk right now. And it's so hard. So really those are game time decisions. And those are things where you really have to just watch the kids and make sure that you're setting the tone of working hard. And that can get overlooked where we're so set on, I have, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, scheduled in my plan book. I, I'll be straight up honest. And I hope I hope my principal doesn't listen to this podcast. Anyone else around me, fine. But uh, my, my plan book's a joke because pretty much, I, I don't know what I'm teaching tomorrow as long as the effort's great today. I know what I'm teaching tomorrow based on where we left off today. It's not necessarily um, going to be what I had planned out. So planning out A week in advance is extremely hard for me because all i'm really asking for is these kids put forth their best effort and their you know their best uh their the best effort in helping each other so i can't i can't expect more than that out of a person i don't think it would be right to expect out of an adult i definitely wouldn't do that with a child i look at those first days of school you know a dinner party if you had a bunch of people over your house and got right down to the games and right down to business instead of just hanging out a little bit and talking a little bit you wouldn't do that as an adult no one's going to come back to your house if you don't do that so it's the same thing in a classroom you want to just you want to have that, that feel of camaraderie and and uh and joining forces together you know i i we, we use the term of coming over to our side a lot but I really would like that idea of coming, just coming together on things. And that includes the children too, or the, the, you know, the young adults too. But as parents, I've got to come, I've got to understand and listen to what they're saying, because some of their things that they're talking about are very real things, you know, and and it does impact, outside of school, impacts what happens inside of school too. So you have to just be very, very conscious of that. Something that, you know, it depends on the person. Some people are very good at remembering what a, a student says to them, and some people aren't. So if you're a person that doesn't take notes, I mean, have a little page on each kid and write down little things they start saying and, and those things, and then refer back to them two weeks later. They might be shocked at, "Wow, you remember that?" Well, maybe I didn't remember that. I wrote it down to help myself remember it. But it, you know, those little things mean a heck of a lot. I think it was Mother Teresa um, said uh great things don't make one great it's little things done with great love and um if you really consider those little things to children those little moments right there if you remember those things in those first couple of days and are able to bring them back a week or two later that that's going to have a huge impact on those children so that's the way i see it things that might get overlooked
2: yeah a few few to jump in on you know i think you hit Uh, a few things that, again, I want to just echo this idea of, um, you've talked about just hearing the kids speak and and lesson plans. Christopher, honestly, if it's 180 days into the school year, you know, I struggle to plan a week out. You know, it is so difficult. And that's one of the benefits of having a curriculum that, you know, you know that you can trust what the lesson is. And, you know, that's where that art, art of teaching comes in of, you take the curriculum, you make it come to life for the kids. And hopefully that translates to the science of teaching through their, um, you know, results. So um, I, I think one of the things that I find, and I might steal this from Ken because he's the one who's echoed this many, many times.
0: It's okay. You steal Is I And say, you can and tell we make it sound like it's yours. I saying. know.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I give you credit when I can. Ken has really instilled this idea of confirming that the kids know how to do something like that. You've taken time to teach a kid how to do just about everything. Now, we're not going back and saying, hey, can you identify your letters and numbers? It's more so the ability to do a task, whether it's, you know, can you manage the materials from your backpack to where it needs to go? Can you manage what it looks like to go to the bathroom appropriately and come back? Can you manage how to deal with a word problem, marking up the parts that you need to identify or not? Can you manage how to communicate back and forth through technology or whatever the case may be, this idea that if I'm going to expect them to do something, that I need to make sure that I've created time to model it, how it's done effectively, and answer any questions so that, you know what? Everyone, this is how where we place our papers from the night before. Does anyone have any questions? You know, we'll check in 2 day every single day and make sure for a little bit, but at a certain point I'm going to say we've mastered this skill and you if you haven't put it in, then I can't count it anymore. And just that accountability that, you know, that explicit instruction is incredibly important if you want routines, if you want structure, If you want an element of uh, the classroom functioning as student focused and not teacher focused, because I think that's, you know, we've done, Ken, a ton of episodes and we've never heard from a single teacher. Again, you can correct me that they are, you know, the star of the classroom. Not a single person in, you know, 70 some guests are like, yeah, you know what, give me my Emmy, give me my Grammy, give me. It's never been that. It's how have I empowered kids? And Christopher, you're saying you're empowering kids immediately by creating comfort. You know, how do we interact in a think-pair-share that you don't feel uncomfortable? How do you, you know, come into my classroom before the school year started so that we've covered the excitement of, you know, a cinder block room that we try to make look more comfortable than what it really is, Um, that is, you know, our gift and our joy of spending that time. The last point, and then I'll turn it over to Ken, is, you know, I love trying to get through the mundane but important tasks as quickly as possible. And so kind of going to that initial comment, you know, everything that I need to do is on a to-do list. I can look at it and I know what we need to talk about. And we go through that. And when we see the kids be squirrely, that's where I'm watching the kids. You know, I'm watching all their behaviors and thinking about brain breaks or inserting that fun, you know, um, you know, brainstorm or icebreaker activity or, you know, we're getting out of our seats, we're doing different things. But the sooner that you can get through the, stu- the school stuff, the school requirements, you know. They're kind of half asleep because they haven't been waking up already. Get through it. Make sure everyone knows so that the sooner than later you can get into the fun stuff, which is really, you know, making that science of of learning turning into art.
0: Yeah. So I'm a little embarrassed to to say this, but I'll just be very honest, you know, talking about things that we overlooked. I'll never forget a feeling I probably had in my, maybe my first, probably probably my second year. I don't think it was my first year. And at that time, I was teaching math to the entire grade level. So I had three sets of, of 30 kids. And day four, day five, day six, somewhere around there, we're doing something in class. And I looked out and I made eye contact with a student and realized I had not interacted with that student yet in the, in the school year. Day, f- day six. That was like the worst feeling in the world I've ever had. I knew the student's name, but I realized that I had not have a, had a conversation with them. And that is something that I told myself I'll never allow to happen again past the first day of school. I made it a very intentional to make sure that I looked at a student and just said, hi, just said good morning. I made sure that I had an interaction with every child before that day was over, whether it was when I was self-contained, when I was teaching 95th graders or when I was rotating through classes with with my my STEM kids. But. That, that feeling was something that I never wanted to experience again. And, you know, early in my career, too, I'm, I'm terrible with names, but I feel like that's an excuse a lot of adults make. And I would always joke with the kids like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll learn your name by Thanksgiving. And, you know, obviously it would never take nearly that long. But I stopped. I still use that joke, but I stopped making it OK for myself to take a little bit longer to just remember, you know, those last three or four kids. Because, again, I thought to myself, Man, it must really suck for your teacher to know everybody's name except for yours. That's gotta be a bad feeling. And so, you know, I after a couple of years, I just I didn't want to overlook to make sure that I wasn't looking past any student, not intentionally, just by just by random happenstance that I, I didn't walk over to that table while they were sitting there or whatever the case is, but being very intentional with making sure I interacted with every kid on a very personal level. So they knew that Mr. Erman knew they were there because that can't be a good feeling to walk into a classroom and feel like your teacher doesn't know you're there. The more kids you teach, the bigger of a challenge it is, but it's something that I think is is incredibly important. Whether you teach kindergarten or you teach seniors, they need to know that their teacher knows that they are there. Um, so as we kind of wind this down, Christopher, I want to I want to turn the mic over to you. What it what do you think we need to bring this conversation that we had? that we haven't, or what is a question that you think Matt and I need to think about as we, as we walk into a new school year?
1: Take risks. Um, I'll leave, I'll give you a story. Uh, and this is an end of the school year story. Did I talk at all about Joe the last thing I should have watched episode 33 I don't, I don't again, think
0: so. That doesn't, because
1: I don't remember what I talked about. Okay. All right. So, um, beginning of the school year this goes back uh eight eight years ago I'm the only fourth grade teacher I bet you know that had quintuplets in his classroom so I had uh I got my letter back then we didn't get it electronically got a uh note uh, or the class roster my wife I'm usually somewhere in the country at a national park so usually it comes by a text or you know whatever and um she uh she sent a picture and there's same name five times going down my roster same last name and I thought naturally cousins I can't you know I never never would my wildest dreams would dream quintuplets did you know that it is a one in 60 million pregnancies that is a natural quintuplets and this was a natural pregnancy so I had all these kids but one of the things that happens with uh, quintuplets is uh is you know challenges you sometimes you have lower birth weights Um, But this one boy, uh, his name's Jomar, and uh, his parents are okay with me talking about him um, because just because of the relationship we have, I've talked about him many, many times with a lot of different people. Um, Jomar has cerebral palsy, and when he came to me in fourth grade, he couldn't walk upstairs. He couldn't walk downstairs because he has trouble with depth perception. And um, everything was assisted technology, slant board maybe with writing, but he really wasn't writing. Things were not going right with him. There was absolutely zero direction coming in. We had an IEP, but uh, really I, I didn't see, like looking, you know, you try to look 10 years out, where's this kid going to be? You know, is he going to make it in life? And I, I didn't see anything there. So I turned it over to Joe Mar. I had about a weekend and um, asked him what he wanted to be. He wanted to be a police officer. And uh, I thought, there's no way. I mean, he can't. how's he going to be a police officer right here? He can't even walk steps. So I asked him, okay, so what do we need to learn first for you to become a police officer? And he told me he wanted to learn how to run. He had never run in his life, never had run. And if you watch this, he's this kid, he's a type one cerebral palsy. So he can walk but very robotic, almost like a Star Wars person, you know, just got that very robotic look to him. And um, so I took him after school um, with his mom's permission. And uh, we tried running and uh, it was awful. He made it about 50 yards, maybe 100 yards of just a mess before he couldn't do it anymore. He's in pain. Um, But we stuck with it. And um, I guess the big lesson here is take a a risk in doing something, because here's what happened with Jomar. All fourth grade year, we spent time um, staying after school, and there were a couple other kids in class that got interested. So I had them stay also. And we started a little group. Um, and uh, there were five of us in that first year we started running together. And um, after about three months, uh, we had gotten a physical therapist involved, um, an occupational therapist. But what I wanted them to do is not teach me how to teach Joe Mar how to run. What I wanted them is to teach Joe Mar to teach himself how to run. And what it came down to is cerebral palsy with stretches in the hips, the knees, the feet. All these areas that are just affected by tightness and then the challenge of depth perception having a person to run with so what ended up happening is we empowered joe mar to show us all these stretches that he had to do to overcome the challenge of cerebral palsy so he could start running well along with running he started walking stairs we started figuring out how to do stairs Along with stairs, his confidence started coming up and he didn't want to use a computer anymore. He wanted to pick up that pencil and he was determined to start writing on his own. At the time, my mom was, uh, was getting pretty old. She had one of those uh, magnifying glasses that she did needle stitch with. We brought that into school. He was using that. Before you know it, he's writing sentences, but it gets better. After two months, he was running a mile. After, by the middle of the winter time, we were slugging it out in the snow and uh, Rochester can get, a lot of, we can get a lot of snow up here. We got up to about a mile and a half. Um, come April, we, we were getting close to two and a half miles. I mean, this is a kid with CP that had never run before. And by that point, what was amazing is he had just taken the New York State ELA assessment, which I found out later that summer, he scored a level three. He actually scored grade level with a pencil with no assisted technology. All he needed was extended time, which is incredible. And, uh, come end of April, one of the girls on the team, um, said, uh, we should run, we should run a marathon. And, uh, I figured a 5k is, you know, marathon in kid world. So let's give, let's give it a shot. And, uh, he ends up running, um, running a 5k in 42 minutes. So he ends up running that 3.1 miles. But what's amazing about this story is not the running. The amazing thing is what's happened since then. He's now a sophomore in high school. Okay. He's passing everything right now. In fact, he's doing extremely well. He has vision on his life. Um, He continues to run. So Team Jomar ran just this past weekend. We ran on the 4th of June. Um, He ran a 34-minute 5K with cerebral palsy. But the amazing part is now we have 35 people that just show up. And it's like the Bad News Bears, but the version of Walter Matthau from the 1970s where they don't show up in the correct shoes. They don't they don't look cool. They don't have the running shorts. They don't look like the track team. They're like all these people that just want to, you know, be positive. But what it's turned into is every time someone gets passed by somebody, they say good job. Every time you pass somebody, you also say good job. So effort is what's valued here, not necessarily the bottom line. So this team has turned into something really neat. The community, we have community members on it. Um, I'm the oldest one at 50. We had a second grader run. Last year, we had a first grader run on this team. And uh, the whole goal is simply just to encourage each other to live a healthy lifestyle, be positive with each other. But it's amazing to watch a fourth grader jogging along with like a a freshman in high school. It's almost like the neighborhood kids. You know, age in a neighborhood doesn't seem to matter. You just kind of play with the neighborhood kids it's the same thing on this team. And what it's done for a lot of these kids is what once was focused on a child with cerebral palsy now is helping another child with Tourette syndrome, is helping another child with, I, we had a guy join a few years ago. He was in his fifties with type two diabetes and he was way overweight. And he had heard about the team and just wanted to join. So I had him become a volunteer with the district so he could volunteer with us. And he started running. He lost 25 pounds and got control of his diabetes. Now. That's a kid, a kid with cerebral palsy had a goal is affecting his community with, you know, a guy that has, you know, type two diabetes and getting control of that, you know, his weight. I think that's incredible. It just, to me, it says that goodness catalyzes goodness. If you, if you can instill that. So, you know, just recognizing at the beginning of the year, those little things, they can mushroom into big things like team Jomar for me, which is like, this is our seventh run. Um, doing it and um, or they can just be, you know, a, a, just a school year thing like the crochet club I mentioned earlier that probably will die out at the end of the school year because those kids will move to a different class. But that was a special thing for them this year was something they all got interested in. So I think recognizing all those important things and uh, what the goals of the kids are. We can't The one one thing that I as I'm getting older in this profession and, and really embracing is the curriculum really has to be shared? It it can't be just what the school wants your kids to learn. You also have to ask parents, what is there one thing that you want me to focus on with your kid that every year is just bugging you? Like spelling always comes up. Spelling and handwriting seem to come up a lot in fourth grade. And then asking the kids also, what are you interested in as well, and seeing if you can put that in, and just observe them, and then acknowledge the fact that you know Ken, you're kind of you seem like a quieter guy. You get a kid in class that doesn't talk as much and they're not revealing as much. You have to observe. You're exactly right. You have to make a contact with those kids that might not be as bold to contact you. And you have to be very conscious of those kids because those little moments mean just as much to them on the inside. They just might not be as bold on the outside. So I think that was a very important point. I, you made.
0: I Thank you so much for sharing that story. I, I absolutely love that story. And, you know, I, I feel like you really tied together our, our theme for tonight, which is you started off with saying with your crochet club, it's just listening to the kids, listening to them. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time to just have a conversation with them and, and asking that, that student, what do you want to do? What are your goals? And, and keeping that perspective, whether you're a fourth grade teacher, you're a first grade teacher, you're a middle school or high school teacher, looking at that trajectory of life for those, those students, you know, we had a conversation with, um, with a special education teacher. She was a teacher of the year from uh, I I'm going to blank on the state, but I think Arkansas and, you know, just about what are real expectations we can set for these students transitioning into our classrooms to one, feel academically successful, but to do, but two, to be successful at life and, you know, making sure we're, we're keeping that balance. And, and that's what I love about that conversation you have with him is, you know, what do you want to be? And then, and, and, the best thing is that not stomping on that dream of his, you know, okay, you want to be a cop, well, what do you have to do? Learn the run. And, and that's what, that's what you, uh, you ran with. And that's just, it's just incredible. So, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Matt, anything you want to, you want to close on before we, uh, we wrap up here?
2: Um, no, I just, I'm finally getting to the point in my career, Christopher, that I'm starting to have kids come back. And I think, I had a, a kid come back and, and I won't, I'll spare the, the full story, but it's amazing for us, you know, sometimes we feel like it's a thankless job. Sometimes it takes, you know, five, six, seven years to see the fruit of the labor. Maybe you, you lose touch. And um, it was the end of the school year and I found, uh, I, I got a call to come to the office for a former student that wanted to, to see me. I have not seen this kid in a while. Um, and here, an eighth grade version of LC is in the, um, uh, the office and, uh, you know, I see him and I give him a huge hug and he just busts out crying. And the last thing I heard from him was he was a sixth grader and his grandma, uh, emailed me that he had just had a, a seizure and I had not heard anything for two and a half years. And I had sent, you know, phone calls and text messages and he had moved out of district. Um, And so he recently came back. But like, there are moments that we, it takes a long, I've been doing this 15 years. And, you know, I hope there's many more of these moments. But in your situation, Christopher, you know, Ken, I know you've had the chance to go to the high school and have conversation with your former students. There is no greater value that when you do take risks and you invest in the kids, that it will be, you know, validated for you, not returned, but that's not what we do it for validated that all of that energy and effort, and it starts with that first day, how you write that story for these kids really starts on that first day of showing your care equal, equality, you know, uh, purpose and you have 180 opportunities throughout that school year while they're your kids to make that difference. And, um, the ultimate goal is even if you're tired to try to not waste a single one of them.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that just comes to mind very quick and that, um, is, is I hope administrators are listening to your podcast because what, what you're talking about right there, it teachers that take risks, Um, set themselves up for more failures. The more risks you take, the more times you're going to make mistakes. I would hope that administrators, when they look at a teacher, if there are multiple mistakes, they're looking at the intent of that teacher. And if the intent is pure to help students and help them grow, that we are being a forgiving, guiding uh, force in terms of administration, where we're allowing teachers to take those risks without fear of punishment of failure. Because they're is a fear of failure, especially young teachers that are starting out the school year. You don't wanna make a lot of mistakes. You don't wanna ruffle a lot of feathers, but really the trailblazers in this world are the ones that take those risks right there and do unconventional things. And um, we need to support those people within reasonable guidelines. You don't wanna to go too far with it, but um, but really, if you, the more risks you take, the more more chance you're gonna flop. There's gonna be mistakes made along the way we have to remember that failure or mistakes are the greatest opportunity. To Absolutely. I,
0: I completely agree with you. And, and, um, to, to close this down, we had a, we had Jimmy Casas on, who's a, who's a great leader in education and, and he, a quote that I remember from him is so, advice that he received is you're not going to be every child's savior, but it doesn't mean you can't try. And, you know, you're not going to have that moment that you have with, um, with your your running student every year, and that's that could be a once in a career thing, but you can try. Oh, it is. And you can yeah. you know you can you can try to provide that opportunity to as many kids as possible. So so Chris, as we sign off here, can you just remind our guests um, how they can follow you, how they connect with you on on social media? Um, I know you have a couple books, so feel free to share those titles. We'll also link up to that that stuff on our show notes page, which can be found at Power eduup.com slash show 82.
1: Okay. Um, so I'm very reachable on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, I was a New York state teacher of the year in 2018 and, um, in the national teachers hall of fame, I was inducted in 2019. Um, so, uh, and, uh, Albrecht underscore or N N Y S T O Y underscore Albrecht on Twitter. And um, on Facebook, just search my name, Christopher Albrecht, teacher Brockport. It'll come right up. Um, I do have two books. Uh, One of them is doing pretty well right now. But the first book I wrote is a book called Unconventionally Successful. It was published in um, 2021. And then I followed up with one called The Rediscovery of Hope and Purpose. Uh, The Rediscovery of Hope and Purpose was written um, to bring very much a a lighthearted, good feel to people and it's not meant just for educators it's meant for anybody that wants to find a uh just a path to their insides i think hope and purpose are alive within each one of us but a lot of people are having a difficult time tapping into it so that book was designed to uh to do that and i'm currently working on a project right now um it's about 32 32 words in right now um this one's called called turning distractions into destinations what happens in your classroom when you have an unconventional moment that looks like it's going to turn into a mess and you can turn it into something really, really well and um, really good. And uh, it's it's a book, just a, a lot of, it's almost an autobiography of 30 different moments throughout my career where we were able to, as a classroom, and not just me, but the students, the other teachers I was working with, turn something into something special right there. So um, I would... And, and also i guess the last thing very simple i do have a website christopheralbrecht.com you can email me on that website um or just C-J-A-L-B-R-E-C-H-T at msn.com i don't mind getting email from anybody i'd love to hear Excellent. from
0: anybody thank you so much for sharing that i really look forward to that that new book cuz that sounds incredible and i i have your first two and um appreciate you sending them to me they're like you said they're they're perfect for anybody that's just looking for that that realignment, that purpose, um, you know, finding, finding passion in their career or or their life again. So Christopher, thank you so much for coming back with us. Um, you continue to stand out as just an incredible educator. Your community is so incredibly lucky to have you as a part of a part of their education community. And I know you're just involved in the community at large and, and we are so grateful to have had you on this show twice now and just learn from your, your wisdom, your knowledge and experience. So, um,
1: well, I would I would echo the same sentiment. I think
0: I, I took a few things away from both of you
1: tonight as well. So uh, that's good. Now I know this is going to air in the fall, but I'm going to say, have a good summer to both of you. And when it airs, I hope Absolutely, everybody's yeah. had a great summer. And uh, it's excited for excited yep. for an upcoming school year. Up uh, school years should not be dreaded. School years are the what we live for. If you're a teacher, this is this is the game on time. And the uh, beginning of school year is so much fun.
0: I'll echo that 100%. And Mr. Rogers, why don't you take us on out of here? All right, as
2: we power down this episode, Christopher and Ken, you leave us feeling powered up like usual. So thanks for the time, and we will talk to you next week.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators who are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.